0: listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. So there were a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to go over them, but some of you weren't here through all of our Jude series, a number of reasons why I, I chose Jude, not the least of which is been here 30 years and I've never preached through Jude, <laughs> not carefully anyway. And I will confess that in looking at it and, and preparing a, a series through Jude, I thought this is the church needs to be hammered and be warned about all the false prophets that could be in our midst and, and that are already on the airways and selling their stuff in the Christian bookstore. And that that is very much a part of this. But when you back up and you look at all that Jude is saying, look at how many times he calls us beloved here. That in the midst of this darkness, we're not running scared and we're not finding some uh, false teacher behind every bush. What we're doing is, is saying we have a position in Christ. We have a responsibility in Christ. We have an identity that's all wrapped up in how great and awesome and wonderful he is. And that bleeds through every line of Jude. This isn't a book to scare us. It's a book to comfort us in the middle of a dark time. And it is a dark time. We are living in the last days, but just remember on Pentecost, when Peter preached his sermon, he pointed out that that's when the last days began. Yes, we're closer to the return of Christ today than we were yesterday, but we don't need to force modern events on the Bible. All we need to see is, the Lord Jesus and the apostles warned us about what would come. It came in the first century and the second century and right on through to the 21st century. There are dark times in every ages and the Lord Jesus has equipped his saints for dark times. These closing words, by the way, we're studying verses 24 and 25 today. These closing words are called a doxology. Some people would say, well, isn't this Jude's benediction? And, And it is, but it's more than that. He doesn't just say, hey, see you later, guys. It's been nice writing to you. He he ends this book calling us to to peel back the curtains of heaven and to look and see who this God is in the midst of this darkness. If we were to uncover some of the the dark things going on now, some, some people in this room probably enduring some pretty intense temptation, some pretty intense despair, some pretty intense fear. I'm, I'm not speaking prophetically. I'm saying, I know people. I know me. I know that we are living in a sin-cursed world and that the scriptures were written to people in a sin-cursed world. But there's a, a hope for now and a hope for then. And that's what Jude is taking the church through. So we end with a doxology, with a uh, with statement of worship It's not simply a a closing to the letter. These these closing words call the saints to the glory of God, to the hope that's found in the glorious God who rules and who rules well. And the practical part of these closing words that we're covering today is, is that there's a response that comes out in the church. Jude certainly warns us that in our midst, there can be unbelievers, there can be lost people. In fact, some of them work their way into leadership positions in the church at large and they travel from place to place or maybe travel through the airwaves or or the internet into our homes. And we ought well to take those warnings. But there is comfort for you. And I will give you a, a brief glimpse into my Christian life. As someone who grew up born again, so to speak, I knew all the answers. I got baptized at the right time, convinced the pastor and the deacons that I had a testimony because I had mouthed some words that a teacher told me to mouth. And I, I, I'm not belittling calling little ones to faith. If you've been around here long enough, you know that that one of my highlights of my week is teaching kids quest. We ought to be bringing little kids to Jesus. However, some of us learned. That the security of the believer is the security of the one who prayed a prayer, the security of the one who made a claim, the security of the one who who is really, really smart and knows the answers. There is no promise in Jude of security for unbelievers. There is a promise, though, for those who follow Christ that God finishes what he starts. We are, church, kept people. But the biggest struggle in my life came as when, when God really did bring a transforming change. Amazing thing, it was through the scriptures, through the reading of the scriptures as a, a messed up teenager that God opened my eyes and the outward change came into my life. And, and through a series of events, God put me in, in a, a ministry training uh, college and in the middle of that time as a Bible college freshman, probably about the biggest, I won't say the biggest, but one of the biggest spiritual challenges in my life was struggling over could I who does these things, who thinks these things, who's had these things, am I really secure in Christ? Having had people tell me, you know, this you can lose your salvation. And and ultimately apostasize, and there are lots of people. And they would point to Judas, and they would point to other characters of scripture, and they say, see, he was saved, and then he was no longer saved, and I'm I'm pouring over this and not only wondering how do I understand these difficult texts of scripture, don't hide from those, by the way, when people introduce you to those texts. Don't hide from them and say, Well, it must say something other than what it appears to say. Study the scriptures. But the biggest battle then is: am I his or am I not? Can we know that? And you probably already know that I'm arguing yes. Yeah, you can know, but it's not based on a claim you make. The question is: Are you a believer now or not? Not what is the date written in the front of your Bible, but are you a follower of Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? Has has His Spirit changed you on the inside and the out? It's not a matter of salvation by works. It's a matter of bowing the knee to King Jesus. And so Jude opens with these words. And by the way, my, my struggle essentially ended. And I, I don't know that it, it wasn't somebody's special words, you know, some pastor who just really nailed this sermon. And I, I said, okay, that's it once for all. Honestly, you will have doubt storms of one kind or another throughout your Christian life. It doesn't mean you are weak uh, or uh, unspiritual During the companion study time today, uh, when I gather whoever comes in here, uh, we are going to talk about a guy who was a giant of the faith, who after many years right before his death is saying, man, did, did did I mess up when I was preaching? I mean, did I get it all wrong? You'll have those, but here's where God brought me. I realized that what I was doubting was not really God's salvation for me. I I was doubting his promises to me. Does God keep his word? Is he capable of finishing what he starts? Is there something about God that is tied to keeping his own? Now, we could just go back and we could spend a couple hours in John chapter 17. In fact, we spent a lot more than that in John 17 a few months ago. We're just going to cover a little bit of what, the half-brother of Jesus said in this doxology, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. We're just pausing right there. We're only looking at two verses today. But this is, this is an expression. This translated in, in a lot of our Bibles, now to, uh, the, the same combination of words, Romans 16, 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. And then Paul gives his doxology at the end of Romans chapter 16. But thanks be to God. It's the the same now to construction there. As he ends this great resurrection chapter, he says, now to him, now to him who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, actually not, not a benediction or an end, but uh, certainly a, a doxology, but thanks be to God. Now to God be thanks, he would say. Now to God be thanks who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Do you see how in each of these circumstances, we're, we're starting with God and who he is, but the practical outworking of it is I'm his. I belong to him. I'm his trophy. He's doing something in me. So my purpose in life, my identity is not to to try and do things to impress God. My purpose is is just to live out what he's called me to be, to walk with him faithfully. And I'm going to fall and I'm going to go back to him. And it is his greatness, not mine, that brings me back. It is his greatness that has provided a way for me to walk in fellowship with him and, and have forgiveness at the end of philippians now to our god and father be the glory forever and ever another doxology and one more 1 timothy 1:17 1, now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever and ever amen that's doxology after such stern warnings about unbelievers in the church and I don't know about you, if you've paid attention going through Jude, this is, when you talk hellfire and brimstone, you don't have to make that stuff up. It is right here in Jude. Sodom and Gomorrah are, are held up forever as an example, Jude says, of the punishment that awaits Christ rejectors. It should be disturbing to us. Not not so much if we're a believer and worried that we might be a false prophet. Although if, if you are there, I... I would urge you that there is a snatching from the flames that that can happen even to the vilest of sinners. The struggle is, is God really going to keep me after what I did, after what I thought, after this habitual sin that I have confessed over and over and over again? You might be left wondering if you're strong enough to persevere in the faith. Psalm 37 is, uh, th- there are a lot of good things about Psalm 37. This was as a, as a struggling young believer, as a teenager, right? Psalm 37 was comforting to me and maybe in the wrong way because I was picturing all of, my, all of the bullies in school being cut down like grass at the beginning of Psalm 37. So that, w- that wasn't a real good way of u- using the scripture. But Psalm 37 uh, just jumping into a couple of verses in the middle. Just this, this, listen to these words of identity. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way, his way, his, his road, the path that he's going down. God already established the path. He said, I'm taking you down there. I'm delighted in the way that you are going because I sense you that way. When he falls, look at this, when he falls, do you know what the psalmist is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit? You're going to fall. You are going to fall. And when you come to, for instance, believer, to a, a, a communion time, where we're coming to the table of the Lord. And it's like, I oh, mean, I just, I can't think of anything. You don't have to dream stuff up. But even, even being at the place where you say, yeah, I don't do anything wrong, is cause for alarm that, I I have walked a little bit away from the Lord Jesus, like Peter did when he gets into the boat, and or Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and points out where all the fish are after they've been up looking for, for them all night long. The one who searches the Sea of Galilee searches the hearts, and Peter says, Oh, depart from me, O Lord. I am a sinful man. We walk closely with him. We're going to fall. But the psalmist says, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. What a cool picture. This, have you had the, these joys with, with little children, with your own kids, or with grandkids? There's this delight. You're, I remember with our firstborn child, it's like, man, he's one-year-old, why can't the kid walk? And we're, finally, he's 14 months old, and he takes his first steps, and we're like, Yoo-hoo! and then he starts running, and, and then we're thinking, I'm going to crawl again. But but there's a a joy at this place. But you know very well the kid's going to fall. When you're walking at the fair, holding one hand and working through crowds, the kid's going to fall. But how many of us have seen children dangling? You say, no, you're not supposed to do that. Remember that? Yes, I know the whole shoulder thing. It happened in our house too. But but you've seen it happen a hundred times, right? And on the other end of life, just over and over again, in recent days at my house, I've, I've been like this. And I've been saying, Dad, I've got you. You're going nowhere. You're not going down. I've got you. And at one point, lunging across the room and catching him. See, the, the picture that Jude is laying out for us of being kept, being a kept person may not be good if we are of no good and uh, we're, we're the child in the home of parents who have a, a certain degree of wealth and we just, no responsibility and they take care of us and we don't do anything. That's a wrong kind of being kept. You are a person like actually the, the so-called prophet Muhammad was a kept man. He, he married a much older cougar, rich woman who, who he was a kept man. That's not a good thing. But to have your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ and realize I am weak I'm the toddler. I'm the person advancing in age, and I can't do this. My identity is not in what I can do. And so, in his doxology, yeah, he's talking about our stumbling, but he's talking about the one who's holding on to us, saying, I've got this. It is my strength. Like Paul said, when I'm weak, that I'm strong, because it's not about me, it's about him. So we asked this question, as friends have asked me, do you really think that, that once you are a follower of Christ, that that's a, a permanent situation? And I've said yes. And then I've, I've had a, a variety of scripture thrown at me in those circumstances. And uh, that was pretty rough as a young believer, as a new believer. But this question, are you strong enough to persevere in the faith? I'm not sure how I would have answered the question at that point in time. I don't know that I had a good enough biblical knowledge of my own soul, let alone the promises of God. But let me just tell you now, weak or strong, are you strong enough to persevere in the faith? No, no, you're not. Pastor John MacArthur made this statement, if you could lose your salvation, you would. You would. Uh, Adam Ford, who's one of my favorite cartoonists, Started the Babylon Bee. If you know that, you need you need to know that. If you don't, but this this cartoon, God speaks. Here you are, my child. Salvation, my gift to you. You can keep it as long as you never screw up. And uh, woo, the guy's saying, "Er, uh, boy, you blew it already." Seriously, gonna have to give that back now. Sorry, man. Uh, super awkward. And The guy says, "Bruh." That this this idea that that somehow I'm I'm not worthy. When you come to the table of the Lord and people say, well, doesn't it say I'm supposed to be worthy in order to take communion? No, no, it doesn't say you're supposed to be worthy. He's the only one who is worthy. We're, We're taking it in a worthy manner. Yes, if you could lose your salvation, you would. The comfort for the believer is confidence that eternal life is something you can possess Now That's why John wrote 1 John. I've written these things to you who believe that you might know that you have eternal life. To be kept is the result of being loved. To be kept is the result of being purchased by the blood of Christ. Not to provide a potential salvation, but I am his. And I was his before the foundation of the world. Still his enemy, I was his his, and now he's brought me to faith, I'm adopted. So rather than a license to sin, our security in Christ is motivation to serve. That identity, people say, well, if you're, if you're saved forever, that's why people like you just go out and party and live however they want. And they say, ah, once saved, always saved. Now, if saved, Always saved. And the question becomes saved from what? Not just saved from hell, saved from sin, changed in this life. Jesus put it this way: My sheep hear my voice, my sheep. He remember he said there were some who were not his sheep. So there were, there were those who were his sheep and those who were not his sheep. In fact, he had sheep who were in another fold who weren't in the fold yet. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. What comforting words. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one, and one of my one of my friends who said, No, you, you can lose your salvation. You're gonna, you know, you you better you better the mark, you better keep yourself saved. And I'm like, Oh man, and I went and said, Pastor, what do I do? These people are seeing this, it's just driving me crazy. Took me to John chapter 10. I said, Oh. So I uh, so I pulled John 10, 27 through 30 out and say, See? Look. And they said, Well, yeah, but thing is you snatch yourself out of his hand. So before I go on, and, and I, I, I'm taking us back to Jude, but I want us to understand this salvation. God has saved people, not just from judgment, but he's, he's saved them from their sins. There's a difference that comes into the life of a follower of Christ. That's why everybody who says, yeah, I want to get baptized, shouldn't be baptized. John said, snakes, come back and show the fruit of repentance. When you are his sheep, you have heard his voice. When you have eternal life, there's a difference, but no one's going to snatch you out of his hands. You take the, the shepherd with the, you've seen the picture, right? Of the shepherd with the lamb over his shoulders, and he's got one omnipotent hand here on these two hooves and another omnipotent hand here. You tell me what sheep is going to wiggle out of that? No chance. And then the Lord Jesus identifies himself. It's because of who I am. It's like the 10 commandments. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. Here's this God. He says, this is who I am. I keep my own. I and the father are one. Paul ended Romans chapter eight saying, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't think we can imagine what the the church at Rome was going through. And even in Nero's younger days, the persecution was starting to heat up when Paul wrote Romans. In this case, this, this wasn't somebody's friend saying, "Ah, yeah, I think you can lose your salvation. This was, this was being bombarded with spiritual warfare from all around, and Paul's comforting is saying, no, you're his. You are his, and none of these things, capital punishment, demons, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God, because the love of God is in the Son, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, or some of your Bibles use the word falling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless, blameless with great joy. Okay, so, so we're, we're peeling the curtains back and we're looking forward. We're saying, what would it be to stand in the presence of God blameless with great joy? Because you believer, and believers read the Bible and believers study the Bible. So I know that a lot of you who've been a believer for any amount of time have read like Isaiah 6. And you're seeing Isaiah, who's a pretty effective preacher and uh, very much used of God. And yet in, in a, a rough year in Judah, King Uzziah died in, in shame this guy who had been counted as a righteous and a good king really messed up and a judgment of God brought him down to his grave with leprosy. And at that point in time, it's like, if Uzziah's messed up, what about the rest of us? And then God shows Isaiah this vision of heaven and Isaiah's response is, woe is me for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I, look what I've seen. He's shown himself to me how could you stand in the presence of that one blameless with great joy? Well, I'll tell you what it won't be. It's not like, hey, I wasn't as bad as those guys over there because I read the paper and I watch the news and I see all of those, all, all those bad people that we're letting into our country. I'm not one of those. Don't, don't make that plea because you are one of those and so am I. With great joy, th- this is standing before them and saying, woo, yes, let's, let's create an atmosphere like we did every Sunday in church. And let's just, let's just whoop it up. This joy and this blamelessness does not come from anything that's in you or anything that you can crank up. Jude is directing our attention into eternity future. He is talking about a position that has been given the people of God because of what Jesus did. It's, it's fitting that, that we came to the table of the Lord as a reminder before going into this message. Jude's casting our vision forward and he didn't just emphasize the joy of the event. He explained the reason a sinner can stand before God's glory without being consumed. How could we possibly stand in the glory of God without being consumed? We're not clothed right. We know it's, it's, it's like the, we've got the fire department down the street. I always know the, the siren difference uh, and, and I can hear them going down main or, or wherever. But, but when you see those, those guys, and I think it is just guys on the Rice Lake Fire Department, they're not equipped as they are to enter that flame. There's, there's something that they need on them in order to step into those situations. And likewise, you and me, you can't stand before God as you are now. So how could I possibly stand before God's glory without being consumed Romans 14, and we were here during our one another series weeks ago. Paul said to the church, Who are you to judge the servant of another? And this was the meat sacrifice to idols issue. What I want you to see without going into the Romans 14 text is, is to see that he's saying, Hey, you've got your brother or sister in Christ. They are a follower of Christ. You, don't, you, you disagree with them on some matters that the Bible doesn't directly address. What are you going to do? And he's saying, Be careful. You're not the judge and jury. God is the judge. The scripture is the judge. In other words, this person doesn't answer to you, they answer to God. To his own master, he stands or falls. But look at this and he will stand here like the word order of the king james and stand he will for the lord is able to make him stand that there's my identity he picks me up and he says you are mine there is purpose for you there is a, a holiness and a blamelessness that i am bringing into your life and and judas saying and so you're kept by the power of god and you are going to stand blameless in his presence Colossians chapter one, if you want a parenting text, what is the goal of parenting? A lot of parents are like, well, I just have to, to make sure that my children behave themselves, because I was forced to behave, and if I didn't behave, I'd be over in the potato box in the corner. This is not the way God works. So don't parent the way you were parented, most of you. To to say, well, the goal of parenting is to get your kids saved. That's why we send them to camp. You can't get your kids saved. What what is the goal? To impress people. To make sure they don't embarrass us in the restaurant and the grocery store. See, all of that behaviorism is what the world throws at us. Paul parented people, and if we're parenting like God called us to, it's a gospel-centered parenting. Book recommendation, shepherding a child's heart, coupled with don't make me count to three for moms. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Paul was parenting the church at Colossae. He says, here's what we do. We are proclaiming Christ. We're, we're warning you. We're appealing to your mind. We're teaching you with all wisdom. And what is the goal? The end goal, he says, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Didn't we just sing that song? To be complete in Christ Is not to have performed your way in or to have kept yourself in the faith. Paul says, For this purpose I labor. Picture a parent. It's hard, isn't it? It is really, really hard. It is really, really, really hard. And some children make it harder than others. But it's your job don't outsource that to everybody else just to get away from your job. This is what Paul's saying. You you don't think Paul had parenting issues with his children in the faith? And he says, we're proclaiming Christ. We're admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And he says, for this purpose, I labor. I'm pouring myself blood, sweat, and tears. I'm in the arena, like Teddy Roosevelt said, my face is marred with dust and sweat and blood. But he says, I'm striving according to his power. You're not on your own. Moms, and I'll just talk to you, moms, love you. You got, you got all those little people and you come to the place, you say, I can't do this. You're right, you can't. Absolutely, in fact, that's where you start. I can't do this. Paul is saying, I can't do this. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. He told the the Corinthian church, when I am weak, then I am strong. And Jude put it this way, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. You're looking ahead and you're saying, I am a piece of work, but I am his piece of work. That word blameless, by the way, is talking about moral purity and it's used of, Believers, It's used of the unblemished character of Jesus. The great joy, by the way, that he mentions is used five times in the New Testament. The joy that Jesus' birth would bring. John the Baptist leaping with great joy in his mother's womb. The great joy of the gathered church at Pentecost after the Spirit came. And the great joy of Jesus himself. You know what the common thread is? Jesus is there. He is there. He is with his people There's a goal in mind, there's an end game that God has, so we would stand holy and blameless before him, and he concludes this doxology, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, his character, by the way, is defining the identity of his children. You think about some of the doxologies in the Bible, from the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen which probably came from David's prayer in First Chronicles. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Your rescue is about his. So to, our only, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. We'll, real quick Greek lesson. Daxa, spotlight. Shine the light on him, glory. To our Lord belongs the glory, majesty, megalocine. to our Lord belongs the greatness, the bigness. He's, he's, he's ma- the majestic one. Dominion, where we get our word democracy, rule by the people. It's the ruling force. Dominion and authority. The jurisdiction. He rules here. He can't say, oh man, got to the county line. Can't can't rule over that life, devil rules there no chance to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Time does not change our savior's character, it does not change his works, and what that means is he, he's he's powerful he to him belongs uh glory and majesty and dominion and authority. And because he never changes, that's never going to stop. That means he's always going to keep his promises. He's always going to be the same. Jude warned that there is no security for an unbeliever. There is no security for an unbeliever, but there is for God's child. There's security for a believer There are some God-centered reasons to comfort you if this has been a struggle for you. I offer you no comfort if you are living your life as an unbeliever, if there is no fruit in your life. But as a believer who stumbles, Jude says it's all about him and what he's done. You're secure because God wants you to persevere, believer. Really. This, This is not Creating some artificial self esteem and teaching you you need to love yourself. This is about who you are in Christ. God wants you to persevere. You know what? So you will. He gets what he wants. Believer, your God is planning to have you stand without guilt in his presence. The appointment has been made. You are immortal until that day when God takes you out of this world, and then you will forever be immortal. You can't die until God brings you to be with him. He's planning to have you stand without guilt in his presence. So you will. So you will. This is the promise of God. He keeps his word. He keeps his own. Another true statement. Your God is glorious. You notice how who he is connects to who we are in him. And really, how to change our attitudes, right? Your God is glorious. Spotlight. That's our word, doxa. The glory of God. He's the center attraction. He is glorious. And so it's better to seek to glorify him than yourself. We are by our sinful nature, glory robbers. We like titles even in the church. We like people to think we're great at home and in the workplace. Far better to say, what's that Westminster Shorter Catechism? The chief end of man is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. That's your primary purpose your God rules. He really does. So he always gets his way. Always. Always. That doesn't mean everything morally pleases him, but he gets his way. Ultimately, in the end, the sovereign one works all things to his plan, like we sang. And finally, as, as Judas told us, all of these coming from these two verses, your God is eternal, so he will be present to keep his promises. He, he's he's not, it's not gonna be looking around and say, wait a minute, what about this blameless great joy thing? Where is he? he? He never changes, he has this plan, and one day his own will stand in his presence. Praise him for that. You have an identity, believer. And if you are an unbeliever, you ought to have terror in the presence of this because you realize that people will stand before him blameless, everyone else judged forever. Are you his? Run to him. Beg him to let you in based on what Jesus did for sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for hope for your church. Thank you that even though Jude gave some warnings about The fact that sometimes we have to fight as believers, that you've equipped us with a knowledge of who you are, with weapons of warfare that aren't like the world fights. We don't have to to punch back.